as we jump into today, uh, we have started the year off looking at uh, this idea of a disciple shift. Uh, so the idea of discipleship is we are disciples of Jesus. That actually means something. Jesus didn't invent the term. He adopted it. Uh, there's a model of raising people up into uh, uh, spiritual understanding and their walk with the Lord that the rabbis would use when they would uh, uh, accept in this way, they would accept disciples who would come follow them and watch them and live after them and walk like them and talk like them. Uh, I told you yesterday I was reading, uh, it was a Jewish source and it was a, uh, somebody writing saying that there was a left-handed rabbi and so all of his disciples learned how to eat with their left, -handed, uh, left hand because the task was, was to become like the rabbi. Uh, to not just uh, listen and take notes and try to intellectually decide whether they agreed or not, it was to really take on the form of uh, the person to whom they were following. And so they were, uh, if, if you were a uh, young, in this case it would be a young man, if you were looking for uh, someone, you would have to be smart enough to be accepted, uh, very much like applying for college, you would have to go pursue a rabbi asking if he would accept you as a disciple. And here's the crazy thing, when we jump into Jesus, Jesus goes and invites people. He's not waiting for those to come to him. He goes to them. And when he asks them if they, would be, uh, if, if they would come after him, he's inviting them into a discipleship relationship where they would become disciples of the rabbi. Now, the difference in this one is it wasn't just a good uh, rabbinical teacher. This was the Savior, God himself, incarnate, take on flesh, indwelling in the world, inviting people like you and me if we would come after him or come follow him and that he would make in us disciples, that we would use what we've got and what we've been given uh, to do that and to make some kind of kingdom impact in the world around us. The problem for a lot of us is along the way is our faith can become a process of agree or disagree I like the way this teacher thinks, but not that one. And we kind of, if you are a sushi fan, we'll go through and we'll check our menu and see what we like and what we don't like, and we'll order that stuff and we call it, this is our faith, right? And along the way, it can be more about uh, uh, the, the intellectual process rather than the uh, complete surrender to become like Christ, to be with him, to become like him to do what he does. And so we've been working through that, and today we are still in that process. Let me start by giving us this. Sorry, so the whole discipleship thing comes from this, is the idea that we need to shift. A lot of us have got out of alignment, right? We use that term a lot in the last couple weeks. And a lot of us need to get back on track into following Jesus, because for some of us, uh, it's become a Bible reading plan, and we call that discipleship. Or it's become, uh, you know, our, our 15 minutes of prayer in the morning, we call that discipleship or showing up to church and we call that discipleship my question would be this is Christ the center and the direction of where you're going is he who you're pursuing is Jesus who you're after are you surrendering every part of your life uh, to the lordship the rule and the reign of King Jesus that whatever he says is how we live whoever he is is what we want to become whatever he's doing is what we want to do and if we're out of alignment we need to shift instead of continually asking him to shift to meet with us. Does that make sense? So we need a disciple shift. Let me start today by this. My, uh, it was either my fourth or fifth year out of college. Uh, I, I had like an adult job, so I felt good about that, right? Uh, the reality for me, though, is I was deeply struggling. 
Uh, I was in ministry, and, and at that time, uh, I was in my late 20s. My ambition had started to wear off, if you remember that moment, uh, where uh, I, I realized the effort and the push that I gave just wasn't enough, that there was something missing. Realizing that there was more than skill, effort, or energi- or energy, and they weren't getting me where I wanted to be. The hard part is everything around me looked like things were fine, but everything in me said that they weren't. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know that anyone saw me as struggling. Actually, I would assume at that point, if I were to tell anybody what I was struggling with, they would have laughed me off as just a complainer because I wasn't thankful for all the good stuff going on. But the reality was there was some missing stuff. In this season, I was uh, disoriented, and I would use these language, what worked before wasn't working now, and I didn't have any more tricks to try, right? I had done every online course. I'd read all the books. I didn't know what else you were supposed to do. I was depressed, right? The mental and emotional toll began wrapping my, uh, warping my sense of identity and calling. Uh, and beyond that, uh, felt walk in defeat. You know what it means to live defeated? Have you been there? Satan really messes with you when he can make you feel like you're losing at everything. And in the middle of that, uh, I was sitting with a mentor named Keith. He listened to me blame other people or circumstances, and even somehow made it through listening to the solutions I'd come up with. Have you ever looked back on some of your conversations where you've unloaded on people, and you're like, I don't know how they made it through my garbage that I was throwing at them. Right? I'll, you know, it's like, I, I, this is my posture. Here's the problem, right? And I was talking about people uh, that was in our, our church, or I was talking about other people on our staff, or I was blaming the community at large. You know what the problem is, right? And then whatever you watched on news the night before, that was the problem. And uh, it's nice to have mentors that are good enough to see through the garbage we try to throw at them, where the wisdom of God prevails over the wisdom of man. It was clear also that Keith had spent much of his life working with young adults because he listened patiently knowing none of it was right, right? Oftentimes I'm sitting there like, oh, you're so wrong. This is terrible. You're not saying, right? And in this moment, he said, Don, you are smart and you read scripture well. That's not the problem. You know the skills necessary to accomplish what is needed in your work. And here's the gut-punching moment for me, and I've remembered these words ever since. He said, you know who you don't want to become but you have no sense of who you do want to become. You know who you don't want to be, but you don't really know who you do want to be. In in a way, think of it this way. You know what you're running from, but you don't really know what or to whom you're running towards. Does that resonate? And in there, I realized there there was a part of who I was becoming that was what I didn't want to be. It was the kind of pastor or minister I didn't want to become. It was the kind of man that I didn't want to be. It was the kind of life I didn't want to live. And, and the hard part is when you're running from one thing, you can go to 50,000 other things. There's a difference when you know who you do want to become because it gives you a singular focus, right? It's not a shotgun blast. It's a sniper rifle. You know exactly where you're going. You know exactly to whom you're moving. You know the trajectory of your life and who it's aimed towards. And the truth was, he was right. Now, I would love for this morning to be a meeting between you and the Holy Spirit for him to address perhaps a similar identity that's in you, or identity issue. Maybe like me, you also don't know who you want, or, so you, you know who you don't want to be, but you don't know who you want to become. 
Now, for others of you, maybe you, right? This might be a tough pill to swallow. You are so confident in who you are now, you can't imagine that Jesus would want to mess up any of your thinking, theology, ideas, or lifestyle. What here's to mess up? I feel like I've arrived, right? And maybe we wouldn't say it with that gusto or pride, but many of us live that way. You know what I'm talking about? Like, well, they're wrong, and I feel like I'm right, so I don't, I don't really understand what I need to mess with, okay? Uh, maybe you are so weighed down by insecurities that you don't think becoming like Christ is something you could ever do. That that feels so far off in the distance because of how low you view yourself. Not out of humility, but out of a beat down insecurity. Maybe you know who you want to become and it's just not like Jesus. Maybe it's someone in your work or your industry that you feel like, man, if I could do what they're doing, maybe it's a paycheck number, you feel like if I could achieve that, or maybe if it's a way that your spouse looked at you and you thought, if I could just be seen this way, that would, I would arrive. I'd, there's, there's some ideal out there that you're charging towards, and it's not Christ. And I want us to think through that today because uh, the invitation, uh, the reminder, the theological premise of who we are and what we do is the likeness of Christ. And so would you stand with me? I'm going to read out of Romans chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin." Verse 10 says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Father, would you remind us who you are? God, in this, would you remind us who you've, what you've called us from? and who you've created us to be in this new creation. And in that, who we are destined to be like, who we are called to pursue, the life and the style of living and the way that we live and the way that we think and the way uh, that we wrap our minds, who we become is in the likeness of Christ. Uh, so Father, would you work in us? Would you speak through us? Lord, If um, as we read these scriptures, would you pour yourself uh, over all of this so that we can see you clearly through it. Lord, would you call us to be in step with your spirit as we pursue and follow to become like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, just a quick caveat uh, before we get going. Uh, being like Christ, you are likely, uh, probably not going to uh, be born of a virgin, right? So that one's probably checked off the list. 
Uh, if, if you think you were, come forward afterwards and pray with the elders, all right? We'd love to talk with you. Um, uh, there, there, are, there are things like, like with Jesus, he is fully God, fully man. There's a fully God part of who he is that we, may, we, we, we will just not experience. There's a fully man part of Jesus that we can. And so as we pursue him and as we walk in this way, we are, uh, we are simply responding to Jesus' invitation to come after him and to be like him. And so for those of us that struggle with the idea that maybe that's a possibility, I don't think Jesus lies. I think when he invited us in this walk, that he knew that in us there were things that needed to be like him, that there were areas of ours that needed to be surrendered and be made like him. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to use, uh, there's a lot of scripture today, uh, and so as we go through that, it'll all be on the screen. So if you get frustrated because your fingers aren't flying fast enough, uh, I, I, we'll get there. So I'll, I'll try to be slower. I don't know if that'll work, but I will try. That's my promise on the front end. When I think of becoming like Jesus, I'm reminded of the disciples Jesus first called, the fishermen. Andrew and Peter, uh, following a rabbi, was an elite affirmation of significance and status and intelligence. You had to be good enough to be a disciple. Young students would pursue the rabbi they wanted and follow and hope the rabbi would take them. Uh, Jesus didn't go to the intellectuals. Jesus wasn't scouring around Harvard looking for his next pick. They probably would have had too much to unlearn and likely would be unwilling to listen and be spiritually pliable in their heart, mind, and soul. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been around somebody who just knows everything? How easy is that to work with? Right? That's when conversations turn into arguments, just so you know. If you tend to feel like you're in arguments with everybody, it may be, right? Maybe. It's, I'm sure it's their fault, but I'm just saying it may be that sometimes we are, we are pretty, pretty convinced in areas where we need to be pliable. What Jesus does is he finds the blue-collar tradesman. He finds the one who no rabbi had accepted as their disciple. My guess is they didn't even try because they knew they wouldn't have got in. And he comes to them at their place of work and invites them. If you notice, the, the posture of Jesus is always to show up to them to come down and put on flesh and live among us, to walk to the Samaritan woman at the well and meet her there, to walk to the, uh, the, the, the soon-to-be disciples. At their place of work, at the water, as they're coming off of fishing, and invites them. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he says, Come, follow after me, and I will make you fishermen of men. And in this, what I want us to think through is, this word to make right there, it's poieo. And the Greek word means to create or to shape or to form. Uh, it's the uh, word where we even get uh, poema, which is another word. It comes, uh, it's where we get our word poem. It's this uh, crafting to shape, to mold. It's, it's a woodworker in the shop. It's someone who's an artist with paint or clay. Uh, it's the idea that there is something in the process of being formed. Jesus says, come, follow after me, and I will shape something in you. I will form something in you, and you won't do what you do now as a living. I'll take everything that you've got, the skills you have, the experiences you know, and we'll point it towards people. It'll be about the individuals. It'll be about the communities. It'll be about society. It will be for them. 
And in the same way as we read through this, when God's people needed shepherded, God called shepherds, like Moses and David. When God's people needed gathered, he called fishermen who knew how to cast a net and to bring things, people in, in this case. Pay attention. God uses the skill and experience we already have in his kingdom. We are not called to use what we do not possess. And if we are, it's not yours to possess it. The Spirit of God will fill you in a mighty way, and he will fill in all the blanks. There's not a book out there that you need to read outside of Scripture to be equipped to do what God's called you to do. He's going to use who you are and what you have, and he will empower you, strengthen you, mature you, and move you forward as he uses you. And as he uses you, he'll form more stuff in you for the next opportunity. But when we are called, God redeems what we have and uses all of it in his kingdom. The call to be a disciple of Jesus is one where we have to repent, leave everything, and come to follow after him so that he can form us to who we are called to be with what he has given us. Becoming like Jesus is somewhat of a 360 direction of our life. Here's what I mean. In Romans, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, for those whom he, meaning God, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, pay attention, here's what was set beforehand, to become conformed to the image of his son. So beforehand, here was God's direction for your life that you would look like Christ, that you would become like Christ, that your life would be modeled and looked after the person of Jesus, that you would be shaped and formed in that direction so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It's a humbling verse. It's the direction of our life. We get to be in the same family of God, younger brothers and sisters of Christ, as we follow him as he's God. God already determined beforehand, prior in the past, that we would become like Jesus. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18, I'm going to do a three count, so if you want to flip real fast, but it's on the screen. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, Paul tells the church in Corinth this, but we all with unveiled faces, this idea that this veil that stands before us in the Lord, we can see him. We can be Behold his glory. He says, we with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, right? That's current tense, and it's ongoing. Being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So get here, as we are with Jesus, we look upon him, the Spirit is transforming us right now to be like him, right? Uh, you, can, you can probably pull yourself up by your bootstraps and change a couple habits, but it's not going to make you like Christ. You need the Spirit of God to do that. And as the Spirit moves, you will become, but it's not a project that's taken by yourself. This is because the Spirit has made his dwelling in you, and you live out of that strength and power that he's given us. So the only way we're going to possibly break through strongholds and move through barriers and rearrange our thinking and stop doing the things that we need to repent from and start pursuing the things that are like Christ is because the Spirit of God is here. John says in 1 John chapter 3, 2, Beloved, I like when John starts that way because we need to be reminded of our identity. 
Now, we are children of God. It's a good place to start because if you don't believe that, the rest of this is going to be tough. So you've been adopted as a son and daughter of the Most High God. You, in as you are and who you've been, that God still loved you while you were sinning, while you were running from him, still. And through Christ's death on the cross, we've been forgiven and brought in, and we are now sons and daughters. We are children of God. We are loved children of God. Then John keeps going, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, right? Here's what he's saying. We don't know what it's all going to be like. And for all the theories out there and all the certainty of what it's going to be, John says, we don't know who we're going to be like, but when he appears, what we do know is when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That when Jesus returns, we don't know what it's all going to be like, but what we do know is we will be like him. If that's not enough to keep you following, if that's not enough to give you hope, if, if that's not enough to when we sing of the goodness of God to know that this is the kind of stuff we're talking about, that there's something in you that God saw that was worth dying for us. And, and the destination is that we will become like him. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be a deity and have your own heaven. There's none of that. But that who we are will be made fully in the image of the likeness of Christ. With everything we don't know about Jesus' return, we do know that when he comes, we will be like him. For me, that's enough. Becoming like Jesus is what has already been planned. It's what the Spirit is currently at work doing. And it's the reality of where we're heading. We aren't like him now. I don't know if you knew that. You might look at your neighbor and know I'm for sure they're not like him now. But do you look in the mirror and know, wait, that guy's not like him either, right? We're not like him now. But the Spirit is leading us to become like Jesus, knowing that when he returns, we will be like him and we'll, we will see him as he is. I'm, I'm a, I love reading. Now, that bears no uh, resemblance in my intellect. I just enjoy reading. And in this, I remember reading, and I had to go find it. It took some work to go back and find. Uh, it was some work uh, from John Stott, if you're familiar with him. Uh, and as he was going through this, I found his organizational structure of how he laid out how we become like Christ to be extremely helpful. So I want to use, uh, basically this is me saying the structure and form, these bullet points are him. I think it's helpful for us to read through this and know what it looks like to become like Jesus. So I want to ask the question as we go through, how do we become like Christ? What does it mean for us to be like Jesus? The first one I want us to look at is we become like Jesus in his humility. At Christmas, we celebrate and we remember the humility of Jesus, who left what he didn't have to leave to move in among people like us. I don't know if you're self-aware to know how rough it is to live around people like us. And he left heaven for it. You get that? Paul challenges the Philippian church in the way that they think, or another way to translate it is in the attitude that they've got or the mindset that they carry, that they should be like Jesus. And he says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That, that, that's worth putting on your mirror in the morning while you're brushing your teeth. He says, have the same mindset 
as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, we're so far removed from the uh, cultural understanding of what dying on a cross would mean and look like, the shame that was all over this. The idea that Jesus didn't come just to die of old age, so we knew that he showed up. He came to die a terrible, shameful, publicly shameful death on a cross. We're to become like Jesus who became like us. He came for us and lived among us, modeling and mentoring as a servant, and he died for us. So then Paul keeps going. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. You notice it's the moment of death when the exaltation begins. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Powerful. It's a lot of theology in there, but it starts with Paul's call to the church, have the same attitude as that. The way you think, make it more like that. Become like, becoming like Jesus means following him, how he walked. Humility is the pathway to glorifying God. It's when we lay ourselves down that God is lifted. John the Baptist says it this way, I have to decrease so that he can increase. He's going to increase with or without you. But in your own life, when you decrease, he takes off. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, John says this, by this we know that we are in him. If you're looking for, I don't really know how to evaluate. If you're a metrics person, you don't know how it pans out, listen to John. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. To follow after him, to live as he lived, to do what he did. Now that doesn't mean you've got to figure out how to get to heaven so you can come down. But it does mean that our new life starts when this life gets put to death. It does mean that when Jesus calls us to do something or he models us on how to do it, that we surrender whatever other option we've got and that becomes our main focus and drive. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road, is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are very few who find it. Now, we can read this and we can say amen because we've been saved, redeemed, and restored by the blood of Jesus. But folks, pay attention. Maybe the narrow gate is the difficult way because there are a few of us who are willing to humble ourselves, who are willing to make ourselves nothing, who are willing to take on the very nature of a servant, who are willing to live obedient to putting our lives to death. But that is the way. We become like Jesus when we walk humbly as he walked humbly. Second one is this. How are we become like Jesus? We become like Jesus in his service. 
the way he served other people, the way he showed up and gave, the way he didn't uh, put his own needs before the needs of the Father, knowing that that was going to spread out, right? What's the first command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. Because when we love God, the love for people flows out of it, and we start wondering, how much do we love God? Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve And then he sends his disciples out to serve others. Here's a threshold of Christ-like maturity that few of us cross as a way of life. One where because of how Jesus has served us, we live sent by Jesus to serve others in the same way. We could stand before we uh, put our feet to the floor in the morning to be reminded of what we've been sent to do and to who we model our life after who's been sent that sent us. John chapter 13, verse 12. John puts us in the moment where Jesus is in the upper room. The evening before he's betrayed, and it says this, then when he had washed their feet, if you remember this moment, Jesus gets down and he takes off his garbs and he uh, takes the disciples' feet, kneels down and washes their feet. Can you imagine The God who created everything, who was there in the beginning and that nothing was made had it not been made through him and nothing that isn't made, it's all him, is on his knees in front of you washing your feet. And Jesus says this, and he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? Now in a theological way, we could say, ah, yes. What he's doing, see, socially, the way this works, and culturally, this would have had this implication. We need to be asked the same question because I don't know that we fully get the gravity of it. Question for you might be the same thing he's asking them. Do you know what he's done for you? Do you remember it? Is it in there? Can you bring it to recollection? Can you enter into like a, a small taste of the fullness of what Jesus has done for you? He says, you call me teacher and your Lord... And you're right, because I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, pay attention, so also, or you also ought to wash one another's feet. Because why? I gave you an example. So that you also would do just as I did for you. And he starts off by saying, do you get it? Do you see it? Do you know what I've done for you? And he reminds them of who he is. He reminds them of the life that he's living. He's reminding them of the posture he's put himself in and says this, I've washed your feet, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, I don't know if that means every time we see each other, we have to literally wash each other's feet because Jesus literally did it and he literally said to do it. What I do know is this. I'm certain that I don't serve people the way Jesus did. I know that my default mind frame is not just to figure out how in the world can I just throw myself, right? Uh, It's not about me, it's all about you. How do I serve people the way Jesus did? Would you repent with me for when serving others seemed like it might be below us? When we want to justify our spiritual laziness and pride rather than grab a towel and wash some feet. Do any of us think that we're greater than our Lord? And the room said, no. Then let's stop living like we are. 
Because Jesus said no one's greater than their master. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's certainly good enough for us. If he could do it, there's no reason we can't unless we're in the way. You get the image? Unless we think we're greater than him, we can pick up a towel. We can become like Jesus when we follow Jesus as an example by grabbing our towel and living in the posture of a servant to those around us. Not too great to serve, but too grateful not to. How are we to become like Jesus? The third thing is this. We become like Jesus in his love. We can rightfully critique the world, what the world around us calls love or what the world around us does in the name of love, but if we held up a mirror, we say we love God and our neighbor, <clears throat> but we also live with a pretty distorted example and model of love. It's often a lazy, cheap love. That's what we call love. Do you love your neighbor? Absolutely. Do they know it? I hope so. I don't know. Probably not. What's their name? Good question, right? You following with me? John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment. Feel the weight of those words as he goes in. That you love one another just as I have loved you. That like Jesus, we would love people the way that we've been loved by him. We become like him in the way that we love people. Greater love has no one than this that a person lay down his life for his friends. And we live in a culture, and this is just part of who we are, and it's a part that needs to be surrendered, where, where we, we almost worship at the altar of security and self-preservation. But when we follow Jesus, we're called to a life of surrender and laying all that down, trusting that he is the one in charge of all that. We just try to live after him. Jesus says, Greater love has known this, that they lay down their life. It's not about me or me being okay. It's about you because through Christ, I'm okay. How are we to love as Jesus loved us? If you're like me, I need to become more like Jesus in my love. John, 1 John 3.16, he says, we know love by this, right? If you want to know the definition, here it is. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Again, here's a spiritual maturity threshold that we prefer not to cross. We need a disciple shift where we get back to laying down our lives, surrendered and sacrificed to each other. Like the Mandalorian, this is the way. This is what it looks like. If you ever watched the, any Mandalorian, anybody? Not like that you think you are one, but like you've watched it. Sorry, I should have rephrased Saw some hands go down at that one, so that's concerning. Once again, the elders and deacons will be forward. You can pray. But if you watch it, there's the man. It's a spoof off of. Sorry, it's a side story. I don't know. I'm not a Star Wars guy, but it's a side story off of the Star Wars uh, story. And the idea is this: is there is this order of people called the Mandalorian, and they live by a code, and they don't break the code. And often you'll hear the Mandalorian say, "No, this is the way." Why are you doing that? Because this is the way. Church, when Jesus says, walk in love just as Christ loved you, this is the way. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love 
just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. One of the most humbling things to me is when my boys want to be like me, right? Jonathan now is uh, at the size of a human where we're almost close to sharing shoes, and I don't have small feet, so it's concerning, right? And there's a pair, it's like, hey, do you want to, do you want to have these shoes? And I'm like, yep, because they're yours. You know what I'm saying? There's humbling stuff. I remember when the boys were little and hearing stuff like, Dad, I want to do this because that's what you do. And it's like, let's stop there because there's other things I'd prefer you don't be like Dad in. You know what I'm saying? But as a loved child of God, we want to be like our dad. We want to be like our father. So we walk in love as we become like Jesus who loved you and gave himself up for us. That kind of life becomes worship, right? This fragrant offering to the Lord. There's something that smells pleasing. There's an aroma offering, right? You can't see it, touch it, uh, but there's something in the room. Do you ever walk in when someone's baking cookies and there's a fragrant offering? I welcome that, right? And when Ray makes pot roast, that like spreads it. Like I, when I pull up, I know what's for dinner and it is a fragrant offering, very pleasing, right? When we live this kind of way, it's a worship to the Lord that gives this fragrant aroma. There's something different in the air. I don't know what it is, but there's something about it. Why? Because we're the kinds of people who follow a Lord and Savior who call us to live in this direction so that that changes the atmosphere of where we are and what we're doing. Fourth one is this. How are we become like Jesus? We become like Jesus in his patient endurance. Philippians 3.8 says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And that word knowing brings us into this idea, not like an intellectual, like I, I have an understanding or a, a, a view of information, but it's also not like, oh, we shook hands, you know, do you know so-and-so? Oh, we're Facebook friends. I don't know if I've ever met him in real life, but you know, that kind of thing. It's this intimate understanding is the word there. It's the kind of relationship where he's saying, I, 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 wanna, I want to understand. I want to be deep in knowing, in relationship, in understanding of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. They count and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Pay attention to this section. This is where I want to go. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if somehow I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Here was my challenge this week. When's the last time that I surrendered and let go of everything so I might gain Jesus and just be found in him? I'm not good at letting go of things. I'm good at trying to control things. Amen? Okay, me and the other three people here, we can, we'll, be in a, we'll be in a group together. I appreciate that fellowship. Right? Know him in the power of his resurrection is the fun part. But to join him in the fellowship of his sufferings I tend to dip out on that fellowship any chance I can get and conform to his death. Are you hearing Paul as he's writing, if attaining the resurrection from the dead means I have to be conformed to his suffering and death, then I want to know his sufferings. If there's a part of Jesus I'm missing, I don't want to miss it. And if it means I've got to suffer just to know him deeper, then let me suffer. 
I'm okay living that kind of life so that I can live that kind of life. We don't want to just gain some of Jesus. We want all of him. 1 Peter chapter 2.21 says, For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would also follow in his steps. Following Jesus is a life of following him in his sufferings. We've gotten good. I would say after 2,000 years, the church has perfected a way of Jesus where we uh, take the path of least resistance, where we can suffer the least but still feel like we're following him okay. You know what I'm saying? But we're missing something. There's a fruit of the Spirit, right? In some translations, it's uh, uh, patience or endurance. In others, it's the idea of long-suffering. It's the idea that when the Spirit of God is in us, the fruit that comes out of us is we can make it through crazy stuff okay. Some of us can't make it through the news okay. But you can make it okay because the Spirit of God's in there. And you can suffer through things well. Why? Because Jesus did. Paul's trying. We can. Most of the reason we have a poor witness for Christ in our own lives is because we're constantly running from suffering or anything that feels like it. Would we follow in his footsteps, embrace the patient endurance of suffering so that we might become like Jesus? Last one is this. We become like Jesus in his mission. We know that we are with Jesus and become like Jesus when we end up where he is and going to the people he goes to. We do a lot of work to hope the world becomes just like us. But Jesus has a different example of how we're to live. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. See where Jesus is anchoring this? And then he goes in, right? This is the next verse. Just as you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. Some of us aren't enough in the world to feel like we've been sent into it. We're here, but we're in a conclave back here, so we don't have to be a part of any of that. Being sent to enter into our world is becoming like Jesus, who was sent to enter into our world. We aren't sent to complain when the world is decaying in their darkness. We are sent as salt of the earth and light of the world to enter into people's lives with the hope we have in Christ and proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. John 20 Verse 21, then, so Jesus said to them, peace be to you, just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. There's a sent part of our calling that maybe we're not living into because we're doing what Paul warns us against, which is quenching the Spirit. Stop cussing? Sure. Be nicer? I'll try. Go to church more often? Seems fair, right? Put yourself to death? Mm. Right? Go out into the world and love them the way Christ loved you? That doesn't feel good. Because it's easier to critique than to be sent. It's easier to complain than to go. It's easier to have an us versus them idea of the world around us rather than adopting Christ's model, which is an us for them. Remember, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, what good does a light do if you hide it under a bowl and shove it in the corner? 
I would ask us this, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our social circles, what light is getting out to the people around us who don't yet know him? Do we feel more like the light that's in the center of the room that's showing for all to see, or do we feel like, I don't know if, I don't know the last time I had a spiritual conversation with someone who's struggling and just doesn't know Christ. There isn't a single bit of this you can do without the Holy Spirit of God living in your life. We are in a way that can invite people around us to say, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Maybe that this week is a good prayer for us. God, would you reorder my life so that I could, with some level of spiritual integrity, invite someone to be like me? Because of the striving and the push and the, the, the surrender and sacrifice that I've given to become like you. Can I invite someone to be like me because I know who I'm trying to be like? Can we invite people in on that? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says this from a prison cell to a church that's suffering. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Church, you are not sitting here as a finished product. There is a becoming that we are all walking through. The Spirit of God is still at work, sifting and guiding and leading, uh, praying on our behalf when we don't know what to pray for. He's interceding for you and with us. Uh, we have the Spirit of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. And I'm challenged this week as I was reading through these verses, asking these questions, does my life look like it? How much of my life, we were talking about this as a staff this week, how much of my life is pretty well explained by my own power? How much of it do I, you know, so like what does the Spirit of God do? And you're like, oh, you know, like this week I don't know. I actually don't know in my life what the Spirit of God did. What does it look? What's your witness look like? How are you sharing? What does love look like? Ah, it's probably happening, but I don't. I don't know. Are we becoming like Him today, Church? He who began a good work in you is carrying it on to completion through discipline and intentionality. You can grow into some of Jesus' characteristics. However, self-discipline and intentionality are unable to get you from where you are towards where you're becoming. You and I cannot become like Jesus without the indwelling power, guidance, and leading of the Holy Spirit. And it's your sin that separates you from God. So to become like him, we need forgiveness from what's holding us back from him. Jesus' sacrificial death covered over the sin that you could never cover up and move past. Your healing comes from his death. It's by his stripes that you're healed. Romans chapter 6. What then shall we say in response to these things? Sorry, what then shall we say? Are we to continue on sinning? Are we to continue on a life that's distant from God, that's separated from God, that lives in actions that are not like him? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's a good question to ask. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life because he did it. We can become like him and do it with him. 
For if we've become united with him, read it again, in the likeness of his death, certainly we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for the one who has died is freed from sin. Amen? For the death he died, in verse 10, he died to sin once and for all time. You hear the security there? You got the assurance. Do you feel the eternal weight of it? He doesn't have to come and die again for the other dumb stuff we do. When he did it the once, it was good for all of it. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. I want to challenge us to walk in this way. Would you stand as we get ready to move into worship? The call here isn't just to try to act more like Jesus, because again, we try to follow the path of least resistance. All right, check. I got to love people better. I have to serve more people. I have to do all these things. No, you've got to live surrendered and let the Spirit of God fill you and send you. You will be more loving. You will serve more. You will endure suffering better. You will have a mission in your life that's more congruent with the mission of Christ. Show of hands. How many of us have been reminded by the Spirit that we need to continue dying to ourselves and becoming like Jesus? How many of us, or how many of you know that you've been living apart from God and this is the first time in your life that you surrendered your life to Jesus to make him Lord over your life, invite the Holy Spirit to help you to become like Jesus from the inside out? Do you feel that? Do you know that? Like Romans chapter 6, Paul invites us. There's a foundational shift in being a disciple of Jesus is obedient to his teaching of what it means to be baptized. Literally, the word baptism is to be submerged, to be plunged under, to be taken down into, to be immersed. It's this practice in the way of Jesus, in the way he was baptized, and the way the church in the New Testament practiced baptism, to enter into the water. As Jesus was put into the tomb, we are put into the water, buried with Christ. As Jesus rose from the dead, we rise out of the water into our new life, raised with Christ. I, I want to invite you in this and maybe even challenge you with this. On February 25th, we will be celebrating a baptism. If you've never obeyed the Lord, and this has not been a part of your discipleship path, maybe you believe in Christ, maybe you've surrendered yourself to him and he is Lord and Savior, but you've not taken this step to be like him in dying to this old way of life and rising to walk in this new life with him, would you follow Christ in this way? Can I challenge you to take that step? Church, we're gonna worship, asking God to surrender our lives and make room in our lives for him to do whatever he wants to do. Would you do what you're singing? As you feel led, would you open your hands during this song as a symbol of surrender in this song? And then after we close the service, if you know and you're ready to receive Jesus as Lord over your life and or be baptized, would you come to the front, meet with an elder or a deacon to pray? Can I pray over us as we go into worship? Lord Jesus, would you stir and move in our lives? God, would you 
Remind us of who we are. Remind us of what you've done. Father, would we heed the invitation you've given us to become like you? Would we surrender, whether it's insecurity or pride, would we surrender it to know that you are the direction of who we are and where we're going? So Father, take us as we sing and let these words be true from our heart to your ears. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.